Today we're finishing that series Joshua mentioned that we're calling Scripture-Saturated Church. A Scripture-Saturated Church. We are casting a vision for saturating, as it were, our ministry as much as God enables us with His Word. We've seen the necessity of Scripture, the inspiration of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, and now, lastly, the public ministry of Scripture. The public ministry of Scripture. Please follow along as Sharon reads our text today. We are reading this morning from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Sharon. One of the saddest scenes in the Bible, I think, is when the king of Israel hears the words of the prophet Jeremiah read to him and then cuts that scroll of God's words section at a time and discards them into the fire. So sad and so sobering. And yet in ways, friends, that happens today, doesn't it? James Smart wrote a book in 1970 entitled, the strange silence of the Bible in the church. The strange silence of the Bible in the church. And that strange silence continues today in ways. One writer recently commented on that title saying, quote, the curious feature of contemporary Christianity today is when the Bible is most freely available, it is also effectively silent in many areas of church life. You see, it's possible. It's possible for us to experience that strange silence of the Bible ourselves when it comes to preaching. It's possible to unwittingly, uh, unknowingly, be like that king of Israel, discarding the scroll piece by piece into the fire by how we interact with preaching. So just consider with me for a moment. Friend, what value, what value do you place on what we're doing right now? Preaching. How, how important is to you, uh, to you is, is God's word preached? How important is that to you? And do you come here with little or no expectation of being met by God as his word is preached? You're not looking to really engage with preaching. You, you endure it. You're more inclined maybe to evaluate the preaching than allow what is preached 
to evaluate you. Or, or maybe for you, live, in-person preaching seems antiquated, useless in the internet age. I mean, look at the technology we have, the videos we can download, so many great podcasts of excellent preaching online. I can hear good teaching tab on my phone and in my car. It doesn't matter if I gather here and listen to you guys. I realize this sounds self-serving, but I hope to convince you that it does matter. Not because of who is doing the preaching, but because of what is being preached. That's how this passage can help us to avoid a, a strange silence of the Bible, to avoid unwittingly being like that king of Israel, because it calls us, friends, it calls us to prioritize God's word preached, to prioritize your own spiritual good. That's the main idea, I think. That's the takeaway. Prioritize God's word preached to prioritize your own spiritual good. Let's break that up into two parts, two pieces. First piece, prioritize God's word preached. The Apostle Paul here knows it's the end of his life, the baton of ministry he's handing off. So he says in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. <laughs> this could not be more solemn and serious. Recognize Timothy and Grace Church, the presence of God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, who is the judge of all who have ever lived or will ever live. Recognize that he is coming back. Recognize the coming fullness of his kingdom. You see, Timothy and Grace Church, eternal things are at stake, heaven and hell for eternal souls. So I charge you, he says, verse 2, preach the word, herald. Proclaim the word. Be ready in season and out of season, prepared, whether it's popular or not. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Then he elaborates further on the manner in which preaching and all gospel ministry is undertaken. Down in verse 5, skip down to verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. A series of commands to Timothy, a series of imperatives for us from God. But I want to focus on that main claim, that main heading in verse 2. Preach, herald, proclaim the word. Prioritize God's word preached. And I want to dig a little deeper and think with you about that by asking two questions. First, why preaching? Why prioritize preaching? Why not prioritize singing or the Lord's Supper or fellowship? Those are priorities. They are. But we live in a visual age. Why not drama? Why not video? Why preaching? Well, here's one reason. Preaching is 
an essential part of our worship of God. Do you think that way? That your engagement with preaching right now is part of your worship of God himself? Think about Nehemiah chapter 8. The people return from exile. They have a solemn assembly. Ezra, the scribe, gets up on the platform they'd built for the occasion. He sort of mounts the pulpit and, quote, they worship the Lord. They worship the Lord with their faces to the ground. They're worshiping God. Then it says, quote, they read from the book, from the law of God, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. That's preaching. Read the book, give the sense, so the people understand. That's preaching in the context of worship there. And that becomes a kind of pattern that's picked up by the synagogues later on, like we see in the New Testament in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes to Nazareth, enters the synagogue, and is invited to comment on the second reading of their worship service, which was from the prophets. So they hand him the scroll of Isaiah. He reads from Isaiah 61, and he says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He says, This is about me. That's Jesus in synagogue worship, in effect, preaching. You see the same thing with the apostles, like Acts chapter 13. The apostle Paul goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath, the day of rest and worship, and the apostle is invited to speak. He stands up and preaches Jesus to them. You see, that Ezra pattern and that synagogue pattern shaped the church's pattern for worship such that we sing and we pray and our preaching is part of worship. We often think of worship as giving praise to God, and that's true. But worship also involves coming to receive from God. Worship also involves receiving from God, glorifying him as the gracious giver. God says to his people in Psalm 81, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Preaching involves that kind of worship. Perhaps that's part of why verse 2 commands preaching. It is it is monological communication. It is, is a one-way street right now, me to you mainly. doesn't mean you can't amen. I encourage that. But it is one-way communication mainly, a picture of receiving from God, a picture of grace. So, friends, when you wonder, why am I listening to this guy talk for 35 minutes or so? Remind yourself. My engagement with this time of preaching is part of my worship, particularly because of what we preach. That's the second question. First, why preaching? Secondly, why the word? Verse 2 says, preach the word. Why the word? Why proclaim, herald the word? Well, remember the context of this passage. Chapter 3, verse 15, which we read, Scripture makes you wise for salvation. So here you see Jesus. 
Chapter 3, verse 16, Scripture is God-breathed, inspired, authoritative. Chapter 3, verse 17, Scripture is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. We prioritize preaching the Word to experience all of those things, to see Jesus and His finished work, to hear God's authoritative voice, to experience that profitable effect. Teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. We preach, track with me, we preach the word because through this word, the Holy Spirit accomplishes those things. In other words, the Spirit of God speaks again through what he has spoken in his word. This is very important and wonderful. There is an amazing claim about preaching in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. You don't need to turn there. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13 reads, When you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, which we preached to you, which you heard from us, you accepted it, Thessalonians, not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. Catch that. The Thessalonians received the word preached by Paul, the word of God, a word spoken by God, not as the word of men, but as the word of God. I had a seminary professor named Robert Kara who commented, he said, Paul is here claiming that his preaching is God speaking. Paul preached the word. They received the word as God speaking, not just men speaking. Now, we are not apostles today, admittedly. But this is what happens when we preach the word. Not because of who is preaching, but because of what is being preached, brothers and sisters. That's why this command in verse 2 is so vital. We preach, we herald, we proclaim the word. Now, all that I just said implies a certain kind of preaching, what's called expository preaching. That just basically means the point of a text of Scripture becomes the point of the sermon. It's not a running commentary. It's not piling in every possible cross-reference. It's when the point of the passage is the point of the sermon. Then we are letting the text talk, as J.I. Packer said. Then God is speaking to you and is at work in you through his word. As 2 Timothy, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2 describes. Charles Spurgeon, the famous 19th century British preacher, he once mentioned an occasion when the, the crazy Emperor Nero was reigning over the Roman Empire, and there was a famine, and the people were desperate for grain from Egypt. Egypt was the breadbasket of the region. A fleet of ships from Egypt was finally arriving in port, so the people gathered there, ready to receive the food they desperately needed. But on those ships was a special kind of sand 
that Nero had ordered. The kind of sand that was good for the gladiatorial games to soak up the blood of the gladiators. And the people rioted. Spurgeon commented, quote, alas, I have seen certain mighty galleys of late loaded with nothing but mere sand of philosophy and speculation. And I have said within myself, no, I will bear nothing in my ship but the revealed truth of God, the bread of life, so greatly needed by the people. That's why verse 2 says, preach the word. And you have our commitment, friends, to do the same, to not bring you sand, but the bread of life from God in this word, so greatly needed by you and me. That's our commitment to you. I want to ask for your commitment as well, to be an active listener, to actively engage with the word preached. See, we tend to ask, how was the sermon, right? Did I like the sermon? And, and I get that. It's understandable. But isn't a more important question, how did God speak to me through his word as I came to worship him and receive from him? Isn't that more important? How did God speak to me to teach, reprove, correct, train me in righteousness? And as you're aware of something, jot it down. Maybe a couple thoughts of how the Spirit is illumining the Word to you as it's preached. There are a few copies of a booklet on the information table entitled, Listen Up, A Practical Guide to Listening to Sermons. It's there for you as a gift if you'd like one. The first point, the first point of the booklet is, quote, expect God to speak. I encourage you to pick one up and read it. More so, come here that way, friends. Expecting God to speak through his word as it's preached. Open your mouth wide and let him fill it and feed you by his word. And so verse 2 commands, prioritize God's word preached. But why? Why in this text? Well, secondly, to prioritize your spiritual good. Prioritize God's word preached to, secondly, prioritize your spiritual good. Verse 3, look at verse 3. Having given the command to preach the word, verse 3 begins, for, or because, or here's the reason, Here's why I told you, Timothy, to preach the word for, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passion. He's saying, Timothy, Grace Church, you're going to face times when people will just want to gather up more and more teachers around them, teachers that line up with their own passions, their own desires. Isn't that, friends, our human tendency? Tell me only what I want to hear. And so we accumulate those kinds of voices around us. 
with the result in verse 4. Verse 4, and here's the result. We'll turn away, turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, I don't think the apostle is just talking about a hostile, unbelieving world. I'm sure that's included. But in verse 2, he told Timothy to preach the word. Implied audience, I would assume, has to include the church, the people of God. You have to imagine. Verse 3 is why. So that we in the church, in the church, won't turn away from the truth and wander off into myths. In other words, an implication an implication seems to be we need the word preached to us because the dangers of verses 3 and 4 can still apply to us in ways in the church. Think about it like this. This past week I read it was the 93rd anniversary of when Dr. Alexander Fleming, a bacteriologist in London, returned from summer vacation. He found that mold had contaminated some Petri dishes of bacteria that he was growing. He put the Petri dishes under a microscope and was surprised to see that the mold was hindering the growth of the bacteria. The name of that mold? Penicillium notatum, I think it's called the discovery of penicillin, the first antibiotic to combat infections. Don't you wish there were antibiotics for the soul? I, I wish there were for my soul. But there, there remains this danger of spiritual infection, this verse three and four tendency to only hear what I want to hear and so be tempted to wander away from the truth and wander off into myths. Now, those in Christ are washed, cleansed, forgiven, justified, declared righteous by God in Christ, loved by God, made profoundly new by God, but not yet entirely new. We are still prone to wander, as the great hymn puts it. We can wander off into moralism, away from the gospel of free grace in Christ. We can wander off into license, away from the claims of the gospel of grace. We can wander off into teaching that makes me the priority and not God, to long for merely self-help techniques rather than spiritual transformation. Just give me seven steps for better communication with my spouse, not conformity to Christ for the good of my spouse. We're prone to accent our own desires over God's desires. My health, my wealth, my prosperity. Friends, it's not difficult to have what we read here, itching ears that only want to be scratched. It's not difficult to accumulate political commentators and conspiracy theorists to suit our own passions. There remains this danger of spiritual infection. So what are the antibiotics? What are the antibiotics you and I need on a regular basis? Well, 
We call them the means of grace. The big three are prayer, fellowship, and Holy Scripture. Including, here's my point, Holy Scripture preached to counteract our human tendencies in verses 3 and 4. Or to change the metaphor, the Bible says we are sojourners in this world. Sojourners. We are traveling through what John Bunyan called Vanity Fair. All right, that's not just a magazine title. They got it from Bunyan 400 years ago. In Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, Vanity Fair is a place where everything to human taste or delight or lust is available on a daily basis. That's the world in which we live. Think about our online world. As they tell us, it is governed by algorithms <laughs> tuning in to our own preferences. Isn't that this passage? We want to hear only what we want to hear. All of that playing on the human tendency of verses 3 and 4. Vanity Fair. Listen, Vanity Fair is the world in which we live. It is a world preaching to you 24-7. And Vanity Fair can be a very confusing place to live. But the local church is an, an embassy of heaven. The local church is an outpost of another kingdom. And here... In the church, our king rules by the scepter of his word. Scripture is the royal scepter by which King Jesus rules his church, John Stott said. Our king rules right here. He rules his church by the scepter of his word. So listen, as we gather in this outpost of heaven and his word is preached we experience the gracious, loving scepter of our king. Are you tracking with me? As his word is preached, we feel in our souls the gracious, reproving, correcting, training work of the scepter of Jesus Christ. Don't you find this? You arrive here, Confused by a week in Vanity Fair. Things seem so foggy spiritually. And you leave with some of the cobwebs cleared because you heard the scepter of your king. Or you arrive here beaten down by this world. You leave with renewed clarity about Christ and his salvation. That's why, friends, that's why biblical preaching is a crucial means of building the local church. It's why you have heard us borrow the metaphor of reverberation. Reverberation from Jonathan Lehman. He writes the following, quote, The ministry of the word begins in the pulpit, but then it must continue through the life of the church, as members echo God's word back and forth to one another. The word, he says, reverberates as in an echo chamber. It reverberates as in an echo chamber. In a real echo chamber, sound reverberates off the walls. In the church, it's the hearts of the people 
that both absorb and project the sounds of his effectual work. That's what we want here. That's really what this series has been about. That we would just grow as an echo chamber. As the word is proclaimed and then echoes back and forth to one another for our own spiritual good, for our own spiritual help and protection as implied by verses 3 and 4. It's why we ask our small groups to, as their general practice, doesn't need to be their exclusive practice, but their general practice to fellowship around God's word as it's been preached. We did this in my small group on Friday. We meet at the Cardinale Ranch, beautiful setting, nice sunset. We enjoy a meal together, and then we fellowship around the word. In this particular meeting, we split up, split up into men and women to discuss 2 Timothy 3, which, would been, which had been preached the prior week. We talked on Friday about the effect of God's sufficient word and how encouraging that passage is for us. And then we helped each other think specifically about how that sufficient word might be applied to our specific situations. I shared about a tendency I'm seeing in my life to become more easily impatient when circumstances don't go my way, finding I'm more quick to be impatient, finding as I'm driving, <laughs> that is all too consistently my response. Can be at other times too. And then Doug and Alan help me think about how particular scriptures might have the 2 Timothy 3 effect teaching, reproving, correcting, training me in righteousness. Do you see what was happening? The word was reverberating among us like an echo chamber, preached on Sunday, echoing between us on Friday. That's what it looks like. That's the call of this passage. Prioritize the word preached, verse 2. Prioritize the word preached to prioritize your own spiritual good. We don't want, do we? We don't want a strange silence of the Bible in our church, including when it comes to preaching. We don't want to unintentionally emulate the king of Israel, discarding the scroll of the prophet. We want, we need our king's scepter felt, experienced in our hearts and lives on a regular basis. Our king's scepter ruling over every aspect of Grace Church and every member of Grace Church. That means, doesn't it, friends? That means ascribe a high biblical value to what we're doing right now. Not because of who is preaching, but because of what's being preached. Ascribe a high biblical value to what we're doing. Prioritize this gathering. Prioritize this gathering because we can't be the church of the holy podcast. 
That's not God's intention for you and me. It means come and hear and heed the word as it's preached. Engage with preaching. Engage with it. Actively engage with God as part of your worship to come and receive from Him. For He says, open your mouth wide. I will fill it, Grace Church, with my word. Prioritize His word preached for your own spiritual good. Let's pray to that end, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper to celebrate God's grace in Christ. Philip can come back and those who are going to serve us. Maybe for you, God's been, I trust, speaking in some way. I don't know how, but illuminating, highlighting something in his word for you to take away even today. Some way in which he's teaching you or lovingly reproving or correcting. Some way perhaps he wants to train you further in righteousness because he loves you so much and because he sent his son for you. Whatever that is, acknowledge that to God and respond to him. That's your worship right now. Receive and respond to the God who loves you. Who wants to minister to you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for this series we've seen in in your word, I trust in my heart and our hearts, increasing our faith toward love for you in providing your word. Help us to bank on your truth and promises. Help us to apply and live in light of your revealed truth for bread for our souls, and most of all, helping us see Jesus Christ, your Son. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.